Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40, so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business, regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. All right, folks, welcome back to the 40 Under 40 podcast. Love it. So excited. So good to work with you again on this. It was great to see you recently in person. I, feel I like know it was our first in-person encounter. Yeah, check awesome. it out on our Insta, folks. Yeah, our personal <laughs> Insta. Yeah, we need a podcast Insta. I know. What are we doing? We're awful. I know. Somebody, somebody, tell us to do that. Okay, we'll great. work on it. Yeah. So today, you know, people have been telling us that they love our energy and we're so <laughs> fun together. We're a great time. We are. So we decided to do something a little different on this episode. And that's oh, to interview Caitlin Cromit because she is up to amazing things. And- oh my gosh. And then AJ's next because, you know, we can't just have a one-sided thing here. Not next, next, but I'll be the next there's only two of us so yeah yeah. (laughs) that's true so Caitlin we're gonna kind of get into this let me just introduce you you are the founder and president of Dreamcatchers Foundation that kind of puts you on the map it's a nonprofit that creates powerful connections (laughs) for younger and older generations by empowering students and their local communities to fulfill the end-of-life dreams of hospice patients wow that's like heavy work yeah So at the age of 12, Caitlin began volunteering at a local hospice in her community. And, you know, that's where the Dreamcatchers Foundation began. And she's the author of How to Attract Millennials to Your Company and Actually Keep Us. That's cool. (laughs) How is that process? We'll talk about writing that book in a bit. Yeah. She runs a YouTube channel called Generation What? She is up to some great things. She's a graduate of the University of Notre Dame and resides in Los Angeles in a beautiful beautiful place near the beach. (laughs) San Pedro. What up? And she served as the youngest member on her neighborhood city council. Oh, that's cool. You're currently serving, right? No, not anymore. (laughs) Oh, you dropped that one. Okay. (laughs) And she's on the board of directors of the National Speakers Association, Los Angeles chapter. Caitlin, welcome. Thank you so much. To your podcast. Isn't this fun? It's weird being on the receiving end of the questions. I'm so glad that we started this and now you're going to know what it's like for guests to be interacting with me. (laughs) Exactly. I'll be like, oh man, we got a lot to work on. (laughs) I hope you don't replace me. Yeah, I might. I'm looking for another co-host currently. That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) So like, let's just get started. Tell us how you got started with Dreamcatchers, how you got started in the nonprofit world. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is fun. So this was way back in high school uh, when I started volunteering with a hospice in my community, as you said, at the age of 12, kind of just started volunteering. Um, And really it was never like my goal or my hope that I would start a nonprofit. Like that was never in my mind as something I would do. I, I just started doing things with this hospice and wanted to do more. Um, so basically was volunteering around the office. You can't do much at that age. So I was doing things like labeling, filing, helping out, really fell in love with the people. And 
wanted to do more for the patients themselves, because I was noticing that in this population, if any of you have experience with hospice, you know, the patients tend to typically be older. And unfortunately, a lot of them were very much alone. They didn't Mm. have a lot of family visiting them. Exactly. It was sad. And it was sad for me to see as like a 15 year old that these people were nearing the end of life and they were by themselves and they weren't really given that much attention that they truly deserve. So that was kind of when this idea for dream catchers came to be and like giving them this final experience that they're really going to cherish and treasure. And it's almost like a celebration at the end of their life versus them being alone and not getting, you know, a bucket list item or whatever it is they are looking for. So anyway, long story, not that short, um, (laughs) started a club at my high school doing this. And eventually it started growing so much that I was like, all right, I guess this needs to be official. I need to make this a nonprofit. My mom, the lawyer helped me with the paperwork because it's extensive and it was a nonprofit and that's how it began. Really not expected. (laughs) So I'm curious, how did, like, what was it? Like, what was in 12 year old Caitlin's head? Why did you want to volunteer at a hospice? Like, did you have a connection with the elderly or what Mm. was it? Yeah. Good question. I think, great question, AJ. Um, (laughs) I think it was really that, well, the initial catalyst for it is not that interesting. It's basically that my older sister had to fulfill volunteer hours for her school (laughs) and she, and she was looking for a place to volunteer and this hospice happened to be right next to where my dad worked. So it was really easy. It was like, oh, we'll come to work with him and then we'll just go volunteer at the same time. And of course I was 12 and I did everything my older sister did. So I just followed her there, went with her. And then I ended up being the one to fall in love with it. And she was just like moving on. Funny how that works. I know. So funny. And I've always been obsessed with like older people with spending time with, you know, people's grandparents and just the, whenever I see an older person, I'm like, I need to go be friends with them. Um, so I knew that there was kind of something there from the beginning and that's, just kind of moved me to do more, I guess. That's so cool. Yeah. You must learn a lot from them. They're so wise. So many. So years. wise. Exactly. Love it. So you, you mentioned that you have a nonprofit 501c, I'm assuming, is that what they call it? So yeah. explain <laughs> to the audience what a nonprofit is and how that's different than other for-profit corporations. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's kind of in the name nonprofit, not for profit. So essentially these are businesses, organizations that are not run with the intention of making money for a board, for partners, for investors, essentially. Um, So we can never be at that point where we're like looking to get return on investment, or obviously we can't like go public in the stock market. So it's really about the mission. And that's, what's really critical. I do have a lot of gripes with the nonprofit world though, which we can talk about later, but the, the overall premise is that you are mission focused rather than profit focused. And I mean, of course you still do everything you can to bring in money. I think people think you don't make money. There are billion dollar nonprofits, right? Totally. Yeah. And that's really the misconception is like, Oh, nonprofits can't make money, but it's like, no, we should be making money because we're the ones doing the good right. in the world. You You're know? making money for a cause and it needs to be cycled into that cause. Exactly. Yeah. In, and in some, some way. 
And as someone running a nonprofit, you can make money, but strictly as a salary, not like dividends and profits. Exactly. Yeah. You're not given like shares of the company or something like that. You're, you should have a sustainable salary because I think nonprofit leaders are the ones actually making the world go round. Yet people see people in the nonprofit world that are paid well, they're like, oh, they're so greedy. Like they're, you know, anyway, that's a whole nother story, but yes, that's essentially what the money can go to. So if someone's listening out there and they're like, oh, maybe I should start a nonprofit, like who should be thinking about starting a nonprofit? Yeah. And I think I would encourage you to also look into the concept of like a social enterprise, a, like there are so many other ways to also have a for-profit company for social good. Uh, so before you commit to nonprofit, definitely research it because it's, it's hard. It's hard to be in a place where you always have to be fundraising. You always have to be asking for money. And it's sometimes something that people regret. Um, not that I'm discouraging the nonprofit world. I love it. I think nonprofits are great, but I think it's important to realize that there are other methods for doing social good. Uh, so before you commit to a nonprofit itself, make sure you know exactly what that entails and that there will be these guidelines for, you know, where your funding should go. It's, it's very like looked down upon when you have a high overhead or high admin costs. And so uh, I would encourage you if you, if you are thinking about a nonprofit, definitely do it. I mean, the world needs, always needs more nonprofits. I mean, there's so many problems and challenges in the world that, that can be solved with nonprofits. And I think they're beautiful. Uh, but there are also so many ways to do that as a profit generating company doing social good that sometimes can even do more because you're able to have these less right. restricted funds. Uh, yeah. so it's interesting. A, a company that came to mind when you said that was like Tom's shoes, how like exactly. a Porsche, you, know, you buy a pair of shoes and then a shoe, Tom's, pair of shoes goes to yep. someone in Africa. Uh, yeah. And they've done so much good that way. And yeah, they're making money. There's no problem with that because they have this other mission. Also with like Patagonia, they do a lot with like the environment and, and they are definitely a profit generating company doing great work. So there's, there's ways to have both essentially. That's a great distinction. So there's nonprofit and then there's a social for-profit enterprise and exactly, you're saying consider yeah. both. There's a B Corp, like benefit corporation. There's all these different ways to do it that are not necessarily nonprofit, but the nonprofit world is rewarding. I mean, you, you do feel good about your work. You feel good about what you're doing. Uh, it is just my personal experience that it's difficult with fundraising, with money, with keeping it going, um, without being able to, you know, kind of focus on more of the revenue generating ventures. Well, you've been keeping it going for a while now. How long? Yeah, it's been, so 2009 was when we officially made it a nonprofit when I was in high school. Wow. So it's been 10, how many years is that? 12 years now. I'm proud of you. My God. Thanks, dude. It's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> So like talk about, you kind of mentioned some of them, but what are like the biggest challenges facing a nonprofit? What drives you nuts? I know you kind of go through some stressful moments, like as your friend. Yeah. I've heard. So tell us like, what are your biggest challenges? Yeah, I think it's really hard to, well, as I've touched upon multiple times, fundraising is not my personal strength. It's very difficult. It's difficult to have, I guess, um, the human resources side of it. And something that really kills me is that like our top people, our smartest, brightest minds are going towards places where they're going to make a lot of money. 
So the nonprofit world is a lot of times losing out on some of our best and brightest minds in the country, in the world, because they're like, oh, I'm going to go work for Goldman Sachs or, you know, where they can make a good living. And so it's like, there's this contrast of, do you make a good living or do you do good things? Which I don't think they should be counter. They should not be mutually exclusive, right? I think you should be able to do both. So I think that's really hard. And that, that involves changing the way we view nonprofits on a on a global scale. So that's like a larger <laughs> issue, but there's yeah, a great, that seems like a systemic. It's issue. a systemic thing. There's a great Ted talk on it. I'll link it and we can put it in the comments that I think everyone should watch, but it's called the way we think of about nonprofits is dead wrong. And it's really interesting to kind of hear, because I think that's one of our biggest challenges too, is like finding good people that are going to stick around because they might not necessarily be making the best living. Uh, but you know, they're really valuable. They're doing amazing things. And so I think that's also a big challenge as well. Very cool. Uh, What about stigmas or stereotypes about nonprofits that you hate? You kind of touched on them, but. Yeah, exactly that. I think it's that you are, you can't make money. You can't live a good life. Like you have to have some other support there. I think that's a stigma uh, that is unfortunately still kind of true. Uh, Stereotypes that you, you know, that yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it just revolves around that side of things. Money and being broken. And- yeah. yeah, and just like, oh, you have such a good heart, but like you're doing such a good thing, and and people are always like, ah, you know, and it's like, no, this is a business. Like this is hard work. This involves an education and like knowing what you're doing, and and I think when people are just like, ah, it's so cute. It's like, no, this is needed. Like we need to be doing this. Nonprofits are necessary. They're not just like. Ah, for cutesiness. Yeah, you know? it's kind of demeaning. Yeah, and I think that really kills me sometimes when people are like, "Wow, that's so good of you." It's like, yeah, well, who else is gonna do it? You know, <laughs> someone has to do it. <laughs> I only, don't know. The only like nonprofit that I think people don't think that of is like the mega churches in like Texas. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. With the Jets, like, yeah, it's totally so different. true. That's so funny. nonprofits are a business. Talk a little bit about your business model and how you guys bring in revenue and yeah, I think so. The business model for nonprofits. So I've had to learn this all because again, going back, like I was never, it was never my dream or my goal to start a nonprofit. It just kind of happened. And here we are like 12 years later, still going. So I've learned a lot just by doing it and being around it. And so within Dreamcatchers, the business model is really, we have chapters of students throughout the country. They're run by high school, college students. They are all basically self-sustaining. They're pretty independent chapters. They work with their local hospice to fulfill these end-of-life dreams of hospice patients. And so they do a lot of their own fundraising. They're basically like their own little mini businesses. So a big part of what we try and teach them is business life skills, right? Like budgeting, expense reporting, raising money. These are all important things to know as you're going through life. And so our business model is is sort of like a franchisee model, if you can think of it that way. Like there's all these different franchises of dream catchers that they raise money for the dreams that they're fulfilling. And we all, we have a national organization that basically tracks that funding, tracks their activities. And then we essentially raise money nationally to be able to grow these chapters, to do more impact, to grow our impact, to bring on more people to help grow that impact. So that's kind of how it works. And so all the funding goes to chapter growth, chapter dreams that they're granting and, um, and basically growing the impact in that way. 
I love that. And so if there's like a new city with a new chapter, because you're nationwide, you're all across the states. If there's a city that you're like, oh, I want to be in Nashville, like, do you pick them? Or is it someone in Nashville who's like, I want to do this here? Like, I'm curious how that works and how you actually get your chapters and your chapter leaders. Yeah, it really can happen a lot of different ways. I think most of our growth so far has been word of mouth, which has been really great. Uh, We've had, you know, students start a chapter and then their friends will hear about it across the country or like a family member or cousin or something will want to start a chapter. So we'll either hear about interest in a specific area from a student who just reaches out to us and wants to start a chapter. They've heard about it in multiple different ways. Or we'll have a hospice that's heard about it either through our marketing or through another hospice. And they'll be like, oh, we want a chapter attached to us. And then we'll use them. We'll have them help us find a student to start that chapter. Or we'll just do our own outreach in that area. So there's kind of those two ways that we start chapters. Or if we're just like, hey, which we're on an expansion, uh, we're on an expansion project right now where we're trying to get at least one chapter in every single of the 50 states. And so right now it's like, oh, we don't have a chapter in Tennessee. So then we'll literally just start reaching out to schools blind, like cold and saying, Hey, do you think you have a student interested in this? So all of those different ways are how chapters start. So if you know of anyone, let us know. (laughs) I love that. So like, as, as the leader of this organization, how much of, you know, thinking like lanes of entrepreneurship, like there's marketing, sales, operations, finance, like how much of your time is spent in marketing and sales and operations? Like, I'm curious about what a typical day like, I guess, is for you and, but specifically with those labels. Yeah. Well, it's gotten a lot better now as our team has grown, our leadership team of both volunteers. And we have a new director of development, which is really awesome. She's been helping us a lot. So now my day is spent more on kind of the operational side, I would say, keeping our chapters going, ensuring the new chapters are doing okay, providing the support that they need. And then we have a team doing social media marketing, communications, that type of thing. But before they came on, I was doing basically like one fourth of my day on each of those things because it is really a startup culture. We have we don't have a ton of people, so we kind of wear all of the hats, all of us. So uh, we definitely don't spend as much time marketing as we should. <laughs> but right now we're just trying to ensure. I think our that's every entrepreneur. <laughs> I know. Right. It's such a thing. Like, but now that we're pushing that forward, I'm sure that's going to show results, which I'm excited to follow up with you on uh, if that's worked. (laughs) So cold outreach, do you place any ads? Do you do Facebook ads or anything like that or not really? Not a ton. We do have a Google ad grant for any nonprofits out there that are listening. Uh, Any nonprofit can get a Google ad grant of $10,000 a month in Google ads. It's insane. And so many people don't know about it. So we place a lot of Google ads because 10 grand a month can get you a long way. So definitely use that if you're a nonprofit listening. They give you that just for free. It's amazing. Oh my God. Thank you, Google. Yeah, honestly. Makes me want to start a nonprofit just for that ad <laughs> revenue. I'm I kidding. know, right? I'm kidding, oh folks. my God, that's hilarious. Don't get me in trouble. Okay, so <laughs> um, like you talked about your team a little bit. Talk more about your team and how you manage them, how you find them. Any advice on developing a team? Yeah, that's been hard. Uh, when I first started, it was just me. And I was really trying to find people to help grow. And, and that wasn't my strength at all. 
it's, it's hard to find people because you want, especially with a nonprofit, you want them to be passionate about the mission because as we talked about, like their salaries might not be super high. So they at least have to have that passion to keep them going. Um, starting our leadership team of volunteers was, and you, sorry to interrupt, but, and you can't teach that. You can't That's teach that. Like, exactly. Yeah. And I've definitely had a lot of not great hires or things that didn't work out as I wanted them to people who didn't stay as long as I wanted them to. I mean, it's a struggle in the nonprofit world, but the best thing I ever did was bring on a leadership team of volunteers. And that was past student chapter leaders who ran some of the best chapters in the country. And I asked them to help Dreamcatchers grow nationally. And they have literally been the best team members ever because they were already passionate about Dreamcatchers because they ran their own chapters. And now getting them to help on a national level has literally changed the game. Uh, bringing on our new director of development, I will say, has been another blessing because she's that's a paid role. Her. That's a paid role. Yeah. And she's absolutely incredible and has grown our leadership team of volunteers. So I think just finding that person who has the perfect combination of passion, skill, smarts, because you want smart people, especially in this startup culture, you need new ideas. It's exactly like running a startup. It's like, we have so many ways to innovate. And so we really want people who are not afraid to bring new ideas to the table to change things. Cause I've been staring at this nonprofit for 12 years. Like there's so many things I'm probably missing. Right. And that's why I need fresh eyes looking at it. I love that. Yeah. You have so many challenges with volunteers. I can only imagine because like when you're paying someone, you have leverage. You're like, well, I'm not going to pay you. Anymore yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what do you say to a volunteer? Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's the problem because with our chapters, like we have so many required things that they have to do in order for us to stay legit and for us to track things. And it's like when they don't do it, I get really frustrated, but I'm like, okay, I can't really get mad because you're doing this out of the right. kindness of your heart. And like, you know, this is not your job. So it's just hard finding that balance. Sometimes like the team, I, I like send a draft note to our team and they're like, Caitlin, that's too harsh. They're volunteers. And I'm like, oh, wow. I forgot, you know? So I need to just, it's, it's finding that balance. And with your board of directors as well, it's like, yeah, you get frustrated when they don't do the things they say, but they're also volunteering their time. And like, these are great people giving their time to us to help us grow. So there's only so much you can do. Totally. You mentioned that uh, you need to have fresh eyes. Like, what do you do to have fresh eyes? Mentorship, friends, like, yeah. who, what do you do to get that? Yeah, definitely mentorship, new team members. Like, we've just had three new team members come on in the past few months, and they've already seen so many things that we needed work on. So, I think really just finding new people occasionally and just getting tons of different opinions and thoughts. We try and get a lot of feedback from our student chapters on what we could be doing better. So I think that's really important is just constantly be, being open to feedback. And I love feedback and ideas more than anything. Like I never shoot them down because it just always helps in some way. Uh, so I think really encouraging that having a culture of encouraging those ideas, no matter how big or small, uh, it's just so important to continue growing and evolving. What keeps you going, Caitlin? Like 11 plus years <laughs> coffee. of what, coffee <laughs> and like what? Like just inspiration and yeah, a good I think cause? Totally. And something like 
that I think is really difficult sometimes when you get down, like there's some days when like literally everything goes wrong. And there was a point I remember like about a year ago, it was middle of COVID. Everything was going the wrong direction. Everything was falling apart. It felt like, and it's really easy to just get in my head and be like, why am I, why am I still doing this? Like I've done this enough. I'm done. Like I've done my part. But then I think about, I come back to the original inspiration. So I watched the movie that inspired me to start dream catchers that day. And like, by the end of that, I was completely like, what? I, I can't stop. I can't, I can't end now. Like all this work, all this impact would be for nothing and not nothing. Cause we've done a lot, but it would not continue. And, and this is something that's so critical and needed in our world. And so I think it's just coming back to the original point of inspiration and, and talking to the people who are impacted as often as possible, because that's what keeps me going because there's so many challenges. So you got to really come back to the impact and talk about the movie and the scene. I've heard it before, but yeah, I know you've probably heard it a million times. So the movie that inspired me was patch Adams. Watch it. If you haven't about Dr. Patch Adams, real life story, real life doctor, Rest in peace, Robin Williams. I know, played by Robin Williams. Fantastic movie about a doctor basically wanting to be a better doctor, like make his patients happy, make them laugh versus just being a stoic doctor, you know, giving prescriptions, whatever. And the scene in that was that he met an older woman who was not in a good place. She was not happy. She was feeling just really down. And she, and he had remembered that she had told him one time that she had always dreamed of swimming in a pool full of spaghetti just that feeling of swimming through cooked spaghetti. And he does that for her. And she is just elated. It completely turns her attitude around. She starts eating again. She's happier. And just the fact that someone cared enough to do that really changed her life, changed her perspective. And so that was the moment that kind of inspired the concept of dream catchers, doing something for these people who are often forgotten, showing them that they matter, that their life matters, that they are, you know, this is their Aww. celebration of life. Yeah, I remember you saying once, like these people don't ask for much. Like it's not like they're like, I want to go to Hawaii for a week. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm sure I know, right? figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, it's really taught me a lot about life and and death, really, because it's shown that you know we don't need these crazy extravagant things, and they they just want to they just want the simple things. They want to be with the people Mm -hmm. they love. They want little things. And it's just, it's really enlightening to see that, especially being younger and, you know, in a place where there's so much we want, you know, there's so much that we dream of, but being close to the end and not wanting these crazy things that, that shows you what really matters, I think. So sort of on that same note, before we shift gears here like what are some of the top things that you've learned from these people yeah and I actually have a talk I'm working on about this so great question yeah (laughs) um the the top things that I've learned for sure are that it's the simple things like I said uh connection being present with people is really really important I think that's something that we cannot hear enough in this day and age I'm sure we've all heard it right be here now but it's like no we are never actually here. We're distracted by our phones. We're looking at our Apple watch. Our mind is somewhere else or we're texting while we're at dinner with a friend. And then there's acceptance. 
that's been a big thing that so many of these people so close to the end are actually accepting that. And they're not, they're, they're just showing this whole perspective of, you know, what if we were a little bit more accepting of what's coming in our life of, of other people of, you know, what our fate is essentially. So, yeah, I think the, those are the biggest things and, and the quality time matters with the people you love. And again, when I don't think that we can hear enough because we all say that and we recognize that, but how many of us actually live that? I know, we take it for granted. Exactly. Well, uh, this is so awesome. I love this talk about what you've been working on. Like my mom work, has been working with the elderly ever since I can remember. So maybe that's why uh, I like you so much. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You're a I, good friend. I know. Oh, stop. We're going to cry. So let's shift gears here. Like uh, on your, your, you have your nonprofit life and then let's talk about now your for-profit life. Um you're a professional speaker, so you you book speaking engagements. You've spoken quite a bit over the years. Talk a little bit about that and like specifically how that's linked to your nonprofit world, because I'm assuming you leveraged your nonprofit life to get into yeah. that space. So tell us about it. Okay, I'll tell you about it. Um, so basically, I think that the transition happened when I was doing so much speaking about dream catchers and seeing the connection of these generations of young and old, seeing them come together and have so much impact and, and make such an impact on both parties. So that got me really passionate about generations. And I always knew I loved speaking because from the minute I started dream catchers and was speaking on it, that was always something that I just loved. It just made Mm. me feel happy. You know, you know, uh, were you speaking to promote dream catchers? Was that the purpose originally? Yes, essentially. It was to promote it, get people to start chapters, get people to donate money, all sorts of different motivations there. And when I learned that speaking was a career, which I feel like a lot of speakers have that moment of, wait, what? I can make money from speaking, you know, and and figuring out that this could be some sort of career. I started exploring what I was passionate about and what about dream catchers has taught me that I could share with other people. And the first thing that came to mind, of course, was this intergenerational connection and showing people that, yeah, the generations can get along, we can connect and we can really learn a lot from each other. And so I started speaking on generations on millennials, boomers, Gen Xers, traditionalists, all of the above Gen Zers. Such a smart leap. (laughs) It it makes sense looking back, but in the moment I was like, what the heck am I doing? And I really had to do a lot of research because yeah, I knew about connecting generations, but the specifics into generations, I had to, I had to research, I had to survey, I had to interview people. And how old were you? Cause you're only like 27. (laughs) Yeah. I was right out of college because I didn't want to work for anyone, (laughs) you know, joined the club that entrepreneur life. So I was like, okay, how can I do this on my own? So I was, I guess I was like 22 and, uh, started doing that. So started researching and, and fell in love with it, with generations. And, and that's when I wrote the book about millennials and just kind of started getting ideas out there. And I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun that's kind of how I made the leap. And it's, and it's evolved a lot over the last five years that I've been doing this and still figuring it out. Cause you know, who actually knows what they're doing? <laughs> yeah. Which we've learned from most of our guests, right. They're all saying exactly. that. Like we're all kind of winging it. So uh, we talked about sort of the business model of speaking with Benji Bruce, uh, but what's like the generation, what business model, like tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, that is in progress. But I would say the the biggest thing with Generation What is it started out just doing presentations at conferences about millennials, really, because this was five years ago when I first started. Millennials were the hot thing, right? They were the thing everyone wanted to figure out. So I really started doing a lot of speaking on millennials. And then over the past five years kind of have evolved into kind of this five generation workplace. And we're in a place that we've never been before with having five generations in the workplace because people are living longer, people are working longer. Right. So we have this weird dynamic that I've gotten really interested in as well. So started speaking more about that, the intergenerational workplace, how we can capitalize on that as leaders, how we can take advantage of every generation's strengths. And then I created an online academy, essentially trying to be able to give those talks to people anywhere without having to go there and be there and give them a source Mm. of learning. And ultimately scale. Exactly. And scale. And so that's kind of what I've been working on with Generation What. And it's it's been a lot of learning (laughs) of figuring out how to generate revenue, how to make money, uh, especially doing this on the side of Dreamcatchers, especially like when things get busy. With Dreamcatchers, how do I balance my time, which I'm very much still trying to figure out. Right. Dreamcatchers is your priority. Yeah, I think in a lot of regards it is. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of things that change and evolve as you go through business and life. And so I'm assuming that balance will also change and evolve right there along with it. So when did you realize you wanted to be an entrepreneur? You said you never wanted to work for somebody. Was it kind of always a thing? Yeah, it really was. I think ever since I started Dreamcatchers at 15 and I was kind of leading this growing organization, I loved that. And I loved being able to make decisions for the organization and do things quickly. And I think when I started, I did a lot of internships and I started working for other people and I just there was always, there were always moments where I was just so frustrated by either bureaucracy because some of these were really big companies I was working for. And it was like, as a measly intern or whatever I was, I didn't have a lot of power. Obviously I didn't have a lot of, you know, ability to make decisions or change things. And even if you did bring in a new idea, it took forever to be implemented. And then I also just really didn't like people telling me what to do. I know that sounds so cliche and so diva and so annoying millennial, but I really, it just wasn't something I preferred. <laughs> and so you're like a naturally born leader. I, I don't know. I think just leading dream hitchers from such a young age, it, it gave me that as a skill and as a feeling. So when other people started leading me on their passions, on their businesses, I was like, why am I, you know, I have something I'm passionate about. Why am I spending time on your passion? You know? So I think it was just kind of that balance of not wanting to work for someone else's passion when my passion was there and needed me and going. And that, that was kind of how it started, I guess. Yeah. So I'm going to throw this at you since we always throw it at the guests. Like (laughs) in your opinion, I'm curious how you answer this are entrepreneurs born or bread? Oh, the classic 40 under 40 question. Uh, I've been studying a lot of answers that past guests have said, and there are most of them I agree with. I, I don't think you're really born an entrepreneur, but I do think you are innately an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. However, you can learn it if you're not. 
But I do think there is that sense of, I know there are some people like my sister, we're the same blood, we're the same genes, we're from the same parents. And I know she's listening because she's our, our loyal follower, our groupie, our groupie. I don't think she could ever be an entrepreneur because she just loves that structure. She loves having routine and she loves having that stability that I, I, I have never craved and I've never wanted. Okay. I've craved it once or twice when I'm like, gosh, I wish I could what the make hell money. am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I wish I could make money We've on vacation. Yeah. Like paid time off. Oh my God. What a luxury. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. But I think I'm yeah. off. What a luxury. I know. Let's start there. So, yeah, I think just some people will never be entrepreneurs. Sure. She could probably learn it, but I don't think she'd ever enjoy it. So I, I think there's people that enjoy it and there's people that don't. So I, I do think some people are born, like, I do believe I was born an entrepreneur and you were too, which we'll hear from AJ's story at some point, but CBD. you can learn it. You just might not enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have similar answers. I'll try yeah. to develop mine differently. So okay, not cool. the same, but I agree with you. <laughs> it's like anything in life, right? Like you can be a teacher if you want to be a teacher, but do you have it in you to be a teacher? You exactly. Know? And yeah. are you going to like that life? Yeah, totally. So uh, another question we talk about a lot of college, you went to Notre Dame. I feel like it was really good for you. I mean, it's been good for our podcast. A lot of our guests have come from there. So like, do you so think true. it's been useful? I loved, I loved school. I loved Notre Dame. I think it was such a blessing in my life. I mean, the, going there is the only reason Dreamcatchers is where it is. So I will never say that it was not useful because my scholarship program there, the Hesburgh USCO Scholars Program, absolutely changed the game for Dreamcatchers and for my life. Very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's the only reason we're national. It's the only reason it's still going. I'm convinced. Uh, and the people I met, of course, the network. And I think we've heard that from a lot of guests. It's like the opportunities it's presented and the people we've met have been the most important. The education, of course, was helpful, but it was almost like, I don't think we were in a place to truly appreciate the education. And I know we've talked about this, like going back to school now that we have this interest in something that we have kind of missed school, I think is more valuable than totally going to college right after high school when you're like so sick of school or you're like just in this kind of robotic phase of going to class and you're not like absorbing it. Right. You know? You're ready to live your life. Yeah. And so I definitely don't think the biggest thing I got out of it was the knowledge or the education, because I really wish I could go back and do it again, appreciating it more and really going to class, like fully alert and wanting to learn uh, because there were, there were some amazing professors and I'm really grateful for that. But do I remember most of the stuff I learned? No, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just not realistic. You were too hungover. <laughs> exactly. Like you're just going through this such important phase of your life that it's like, there's so many things going on. There's so many people you're meeting that the education part kind of takes a backseat. So, but I loved it. I'm so grateful for it. And it's opened up so many doors for me. So I wouldn't change it. I think what people don't address and talk about, and our guests haven't really talked about this, is also the, the psychological impact about not having a degree has on someone like your confidence, your self-esteem, like 
you graduated from a world-renowned university. Like that alone, I think you're underestimating how much that helped you in life and how confident that made you. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I'm really curious to hear when we have your interview about how that's been different for you mm. and going back to school and everything, because totally. yeah, that's not something that like I've thought about before. Yeah. We'll talk about it. I put some okay. thought into it. Yeah. I bet you have. Awesome. So, I mean, we're almost out of time here. Oh my gosh. We could chat forever. I know we really can. What do you think the most important trait you have is as an entrepreneur and what others should really tap into? And also on that same note, what's your biggest weakness that holds you back? Um, whew. Biggest weakness, I think, is the need that, that I feel that I have to do everything myself. I'm really bad at bringing on other people to do things or giving tasks to my team. It's something I've had to learn because I've always just felt like, oh, I'm so attached to this. Like I need to do this, which isn't productive because I can't do everything. And the most important trait I think is not getting too much in my head about things, I think. Uh, And also just not letting like failure hold me back. I think that's been, I I moved to LA to do acting and I think the acting business really teaches you how to embrace rejection Mm -hmm. and, and failure really, because there are countless, countless failures as an entrepreneur. And so being able to not let that get you down is so important. So I think that's probably the most important trait, because if I didn't have that, I would have quit years ago, you know, and that it just, it's hard. Yeah. You're so resilient. I respect you about so much. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh God, I have zero idea. (laughs) I have no clue. I really hope that I'm speaking as a primary living, speaking both about dream catchers and my other passions about, you know, all the other things I want to speak on and really doing a lot of workshops, consulting. I love that. I love that. And obviously dream catchers will be huge. It'll be as big as make a wish. So watch out world. <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. That's wow. That's better. a great plan. Yeah. The speaking models where it's at folks. <laughs> yeah. We're obviously obsessed. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So Caitlin, where can people find you? Oh my gosh. 40 under 40 podcast.com. Yes. <laughs> um, Caitlin Cromit is my handle on all the things. Two M's, two T's. Yes. Look it up. So yeah, you can easily find me and especially being a host of this podcast we're we're pretty findable. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, you know, we're embracing it. We're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I can't believe we're done. There were so many more questions Stop. I literally had to ask you. I know. Oh my gosh. Like, why did we ever think we'd have trouble filling the time? I know we were <laughs> nervous about this. Oh God. I love it. Well, this, thanks for interviewing me. I can't wait to interview you and throw this all right back at you. I know I'm nervous now because you did so well. <laughs> thanks. Well, you're hopefully you don't have to cut out too many ums and uhs. I don't think really... I do at all, to be honest. Okay, great. I really tried to focus on that. I definitely said it, but anyway. Well, before we came on, I was making coffee and I was like, I hope, because like you were so direct. I was like, I hope she's not a bad guest. (laughs) Like who just says, oh my God. Like, yes, 
Right, they answer and then like no elaboration. Yeah, that's why I said it before we started. Like, please just elaborate. (laughs) Yeah, well, luckily I know what a bad guest is, so I was not trying to be that. (laughs) Love it. Well, good job, Uh, folks. We'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, folks. Thanks for listening. All right, bye, folks. (laughs) Bye. Oh my god. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Forty Under Forty Podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode.